words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to continue on this morning from uh, James. Last week I preached from the letter of James, who was the brother of our Lord Jesus. And I'm going to continue on this morning. I'm going to preach mainly on these, these first ten verses of chapter 2, and then next week we'll come back to this uh, section on faith and works. But if you remember last week, James was calling his readers and calling us to live an authentic Christian life, to fight against hypocrisy, to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And in this section, he gives a very practical way in which we can be a doer of the word of God, and that is by fighting against the sin of favoritism. Fighting against the sin of favoritism. And I titled it that way because it is a a fight. It is a struggle to not show bias or favoritism. Um, It seems that bias is deeply sort of ingrained in us, almost at a subconscious level. Did you hear about this study that was done some, some, some 10 years ago or so, I think it was, um, by two economists, and they mailed out 1,000 resumes. And on half of the resume, they put, out, uh, they put stereotypical white names. And then on the other half of the resumes, they put stereotypical African-American names. Same exact resumes, identical resumes, except the name, which indicated race, um, was different. Well, the resumes with the white names receive 50% more callbacks than those other resumes. And the companies, when they heard about this, were kind of shocked because they had a policy on, on diversity. But there was something happening, sort of in a, a snap judgment was made. Uh, there was also a study, I found a report uh, on physical attractiveness bias which is, I think, a good thing maybe when you're dating, but uh, not so good if you're judging people based, everyone, based on their physical attractiveness. Uh, according to this report, bias showed up for people who are physically attractive in terms of how teachers judge their students. Uh, voter preference for political candidates in jury verdicts and simulated trials and interviewers' judgment of job candidates. So one author of these studies said that we, we often make these snap judgments about people based on what they look like in an almost unconscious way because uh, there are stereotypes that begin to creep into our thinking and we need to be slow down our thinking and be aware and fight against these biases and give everybody an equal opportunity, an equal chance. Well, James here is in this uh, reading calling his readers to fight against favoritism. And this, this instinct, this bias, particularly here, to favor the rich over the poor, to favor the wealthy over those who have very little. And what I want to do in this uh, time that we have is just look at a couple of Christian principles in this text that will help us, help us in our fight against uh, favoritism. And they're Christian principles, and these principles, I think, apply to any sort of favoritism, whether it, is, whether it has to do with race or social economic status or education levels. 
There are many ways in which we can be biased towards another person who's been created in God's image. But these Christian principles will help us fight against those things. And um, I'll just give them to you here off the top. The first one is found in verse 1, that favoritism is incompatible with faith in Christ. Favoritism is intention with faith in Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that. And then the next one is, this is found in verse 8, favoritism is contrary to the royal law. It violates the royal law, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. It goes back to Leviticus 19, verse 18, I believe. Jesus, we say it every Sunday, Jesus in his summary of the law, the first part of the law has to do with our duty towards God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second part of the law has to do with our duty towards our neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that part of the the summary of the law sums up how we treat other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. So those are the two principles I see here that will help us. If we um, obey them and get them into our hearts and minds to fight against, again, what often happens even at a subconscious level, and that is bias against other people. So let's look at favoritism is inconsistent with faith in Christ. Verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality. And that word partiality is from a word that means, I think it has Hebrew roots, means receive the face. Receive the face. This is about making judgments based on someone else's external appearance based on what they look like externally. And James is saying you can't have that kind of bias operating in your heart and mind and in a congregation and authentically hold on to the faith that's in Jesus Christ or hold on to Jesus Christ because Jesus is teaching and in his example, the way he lived his life, did not play favorites. His teaching levels the playing field completely socially. All people are created in God's image, Jesus taught, but all people have failed to live up to God's standard. All people need to turn in faith and repentance to him, admit that they're sinners, and receive the salvation that he offers. Whether they're rich or poor, whether they're Gentile or Jew, the call is the same to everyone. Jesus, in his followers, included a diverse group of people, didn't he? He had a rich tax collector. He had working class, middle class fishermen. Jesus fed the poor. Jesus dined with the wealthy. So he just did not play favorites. Um, He broke through the prejudices of his day. He touched lepers, people with leprous skin conditions. He reached out and he touched them to heal them. They were considered, as you know, unclean, not just physically unclean, but ritually unclean. There was prejudice against leprosy and those who, had, who were leprous in his day, but Jesus broke through that barrier. He um, counted women among his followers. They were considered second-class citizens by many in his day, and he ministered to Jew- Gentiles, ministered to Gentiles, which was perhaps the most shocking. And we see that in our gospel reading this morning, that Jesus uh, ministered to this Gentile woman, a desperate mother, desperate for the healing of her daughter. This lady, it says he, she was Syrophoenician. Phoenician. Uh, Matthew tells us in his account, Matthew 15, I believe it is, that she was a Canaanite. 
And so we know the history of the Canaanites and the people of Israel. That, that's what's going on here. This is a story about how is Jesus going to respond to somebody who represents a whole class of people that the Jews have animosity towards because of the history. Well, to put it in modern days, it might be a Palestinian and a Jew interacting. And so that's what this issue is about. And at first, it doesn't, it doesn't seem very promising. When Jesus says to her, it's, uh, he says, let the children be fed first. In other words, the Jews first. The Jews have priority in this ministry. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And I think what Jesus is doing here, without spending a whole lot of time unpacking this, is that he's testing this woman's faith and her humility. Is she going to persist in faith? Is she going to take her place in terms of the priority that God is giving to the Jews? But is she going to still break through a a barrier here and approach him in humility and faith and trust? And that's exactly what she does. And Jesus heals her daughter. She says, and yes, even dogs, though, eat the children's crumbs. In other words, she acknowledges, I am in a position of humility, Jesus. I don't have a claim on you, but I'm coming in humility. And Jesus answers her humble faith with a healing. And it reminds me of the the prayer that we prayed, uh, the collect of the day. The collect of the day talks about, and let me get it here so I don't mangle it. Uh, Oh, God, help us to trust in you with all our strengths, for as you always resist the proud who confide in in their, their own strength, so you never forsake those who make their boast of your mercy. And I bet you this woman, after this encounter, boasted of the mercy of this Jewish rabbi that she encountered. The story is about Jesus breaking through bias and boundaries and beginning to minister to even the Gentiles. So all throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him, um, again, sweeping aside the prejudice of his day and demonstrating the wideness of God's mercy. And in this passage in James, the, 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 the people in the assemblies, the gatherings, were tempted to favor the rich, but again, we can't see that in Jesus. We don't see Jesus' favoritism towards the rich. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus said this in Luke 14, 12 through 13, when you have a dinner party, how about, let's just think about what Jesus is saying here and what it would look like for us to apply this. Listen to what he says. When you have a dinner party, don't invite people who can pay you back. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And if we just apply that principle in our dinner parties, what sort of difference would it make? Jesus is saying, in other words, let's break out of this system of patronage that was happening in his day. And that's why people had dinner parties in the first century, is they wanted to invite people of influence and power so they could get some access to that influence and power and wealth. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. And Jesus swept that away with this saying. He says, as as my followers, I do not want you to buy into this system. Don't just pay attention and and, and, and favor those who have power and wealth, but reach out and bless others, especially those who can't pay you back. That's a reflection of the character of God. And so Jesus, in his teaching and his example, rules out favoritism. And James is saying, if we hold to faith in Christ, we ought to treat other people like Christ did. And so I thought 
as I was thinking about this sermon and maybe a way to illustrate this, I thought about the figure of Pope Francis. Very popular today. Part of his popularity, I think, is that he's reflecting in the way he carries out his ministry some of the truths here. He's not favoring the rich or the poor, but he is certainly reaching out to the poor in a way that's quite dramatic. And he said when he became pope, he says, I want to be a poor church for poor people. So maybe in that sense he is. He is favoring those who have very little. After his first address as the pope, he walked past a limo that was waiting for him, and he got on a bus. He doesn't live in the presidential palace. He lives in a guest house. He washed the feet of prisoners, including women and a Muslim. So even though, of course, as Anglicans, we don't agree with all the Pope stands for theologically, or we would become Roman Catholic, we don't agree theologically with everything the Pope stands for. Many Christians recognize a Christ-likeness in terms of how he has gone about his ministry, eschewing favor towards the wealthy and the powerful and showing mercy and love to those who have very little. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, show no partiality. And there's another dimension of this, isn't there? That Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, left glory, left the glory of heaven. He humbled himself. He emptied himself, Philippians 2 says, and we sang about that. He emptied himself of divine prerogative, left the glory of heaven, took on the form of a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death so that we can have eternal life. He who was rich, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he who was rich, the Lord Jesus, became poor so that those of us who are poor might become rich. This is the example that Jesus sets before us. We are all poor spiritually. No matter how many zeros are in your bank account, you have a lot or a little. We're all bankrupt before the Lord. We owe him a debt that we cannot pay because of our sin. But Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins so that we can be spiritually rich. And James wants his hearers to remember that they're spiritually rich in Christ. And if we believe that gospel truth, then we won't judge people based on externals. We'll remember with humility what God has done to make us rich in Christ. And it'll make a difference in how we look at other people. So that's the first thing, is is that favoritism violates, is in contradiction to the way of Christ, who we claim to be our Lord. And then secondly, favoritism violates God's royal law. We read that. If you really fulfill the royal law, James says, According to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor, as a lawbreaker. Love your neighbor as yourself. No one likes favoritism against them. We don't like it when somebody gets to cut in line in front of us, do we? We don't like it when people get those kind of special favors. We don't like it when an umpire calls a strike against us and on the same pitch he called a ball for the other team. So none of us like favoritism going against us. Royal law rules out favoritism. You can see, though, how a congregation like James is writing to, he's writing to several congregations, because they're poor people, can be tempted to favor the rich. You know, 
Probably what happened, we don't know for sure what happened to these folks that James is writing to. We know that they're Jewish. Probably what happened is they were persecuted after the martyrdom of Stephen. Many of them had to leave Jerusalem and scatter throughout the Mediterranean world. They had to leave their homes. They had to leave their property. They had to leave their jobs. They had to pick up and start over. And so they were poor. And so the temptation was when they saw a rich person come into the church to kind of gravitate towards them. Ah, you can help us out of our budget woes. And uh, I was reminded by another clergyman after the, after the first service. He said, I think the clergy struggle with this more than just the common lay people. I said, I think you're right. The temptation to, to favor, to kind of lean towards those who maybe, again, can kind of help you out in your budget and, uh, and, and not pay as much attention to those who have very little. And so James gives this, uh, this example here, a tale of, of two visitors. Uh, he talks about imagining uh, a visitor who comes in who's very wealthy. He has a gold ring and fine clothes. He comes in with an Armani suit. You know, He pulls into the parking lot with a Rolls, Rolls Royce. Heads begin to turn, whispers, who is this guy? And then after him comes a, sh- a visitor who's dressed in shabby clothes, a poor man. What if you were to say to the rich man, sit in, you sit in a good place up front, but to the poor man, well, you can just stay in the back or sit at my feet. And James says that would be a violation of the royal law. You're not treating this poor man the way that you want to be treated. And he says in verse 4, if you do this, have you not made, listen to this, have you not made distinctions among yourself? And become judges with evil thoughts. See, the world teaches us to make distinctions with regard to people. To put people into categories and to judge them based on, oftentimes, the externals. God doesn't do that. God does not look on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God doesn't judge people based on the externals. And then verses 5 through 7, he reminds these Christians who they were, who they are. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Now, he's writing to Christians who are materially poor, but he says to them, you're rich in faith. You are heirs of an eternal kingdom. That's what's really important. You can be wealthy in the eyes of the world, but spiritually broke, and you can, be spir- you can be materially broke, according to the world, but have great wealth in God's eyes. Hudson Taylor, who was a great missionary to China, the China Inland Mission, wrote a letter once uh, to his supporters, I think it was, or somewhere he wrote a letter, and he said, he praised God, I wish I had this faith. He said, I praise God, I've got 25 cents in the bank and all the promises of God. I've got 25 cents in the bank, but I have all of God's promises. And that's what James is saying, like Taylor, to these Christians. He's saying, you have the promises of God. Materially, you might be poor, but you're rich in faith. He wants them to be reminded of what they have. And he reminds them that the rich are the ones who are oppressing them. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Again, James is talking about a social situation where these poor Christians are being persecuted and oppressed by people who have a lot. They're taking advantage of the situation here, those who have money. 
He's not against the wealthy per se. We'll get into this a little bit more next week if I have time to talk about James's theology here of rich and poor. But he's not against the wealthy per se. He's against the wealthy who oppress the poor and who store up luxury for themselves but don't give to the poor. That's who James is writing against here. And so he says to these Jewish Christians, these poor Jewish Christians, don't fall all over yourselves trying to curry favor with those who are oppressing you. He's not saying to be unkind to the rich, just don't judge people like the world does. So in the battle against favoritism, remember the royal law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others the way you want to be treated. How do we apply this in this congregation? Well, I think, and and this this is not really empty flattery, I think our church does a very good job of welcoming people from various backgrounds. We have some people who are wealthy, we have some people who are poor, we have a lot of people in the middle, and we mix it up pretty good, and there's kindness and uh, concern for people from all different backgrounds. So I guess I, I would say keep at it, and, and let's even go a step further and, and show hospitality to those who are different from you, from a different background than you are. Um, I remember a, a, a counselor told me a couple years ago that I met, she's a counselor here in West County, and she said, in West County, there's a lot of image management that goes on. You think that's true? I think that's right. A lot of image management. We have to fight against that. We don't sum people up based on what they look like or what they drive or the kind of house they live in. We look at them because they're created in God's image. They need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to include all people in our community. So let's continue to have that mindset and, and fight against the culture that would say it's about image, it's about what you have rather than who you are. I'm going I'm to end with this story. There's a story, um, this is in uh, one of Tim Keller's books of a wealthy woman, wealthy woman who never married and had no children. So she had no heir. She only had one relative. He was a nephew. And whenever this nephew was around her, he was very gracious and attentive. And she began to hear things about his character that didn't really match up with what she had seen. And so she said, well, you know, I have a lot of wealth, and I want to make sure I give it to somebody who's, who's going to be wise and generous with the money. So she wanted to figure out, is her nephew really being genuine with her? So she decided to take matters into her own hands. And one morning she dressed up in tattered clothes like a homeless person. And she went to his house, and she laid down on the steps of his townhome there in the city and uh, he got up and got out the door and he saw her there and he began to curse at her and he said get off of my steps or I'm calling the police well that was it for him and she knew exactly where his heart was what his heart was like how we treat others especially those without power without influence how we treat other people reveals our heart doesn't it So let's, and I'm talking to myself as much as anyone else, let's guard against snap judgments. Let's guard against favoritism. Let's be conscious of what may even be happening at an unconscious level when we look at people. Let's ask God for the grace to remind us that we are spiritually poor, and yet he loves us and reached out to us and saved us. Favoritism is inconsistent with faith in Christ. It violates God's royal law of love. Let's pray. Maybe during this prayer time we can just ask God to help us
to see there are some seeds of bias in, in our life. Lord, we repent of, of favoritism. We repent of bias and discrimination that might be operating in our hearts and minds. Help us, Lord Jesus, to look at people the way you did. Help us to understand that all people are created equal because they're made in your image and likeness, Lord God. Help us to trust in you and not in the resources of others, but to grow in dependence upon you. God, for those of us who have more, help us to be generous. For those of us who have little, God, help us to grow in dependence upon you. Help us to be a community united by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people of all backgrounds and status can be together in Christ and that this would be a sign and a testimony to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.